0: Hey, welcome to the Debbie Debate. On today's show, C2C must-haves. Is Mac Jones for real? And should college players opt out of the season before they become draft eligible? But we start with a week eight in college football. Mr. Bruning, what did you learn this week?
1: Oh, uh, skip me. Go to Austin. I was not ready for that oh. at all.
0: Austin, what did you learn this week?
2: Ah, uh, So I think we have this... Earmarked for well, well, first off, I learned never to pick Florida State. Um, thought maybe they would do something this week and just totally laid an egg. Um, the big thing, uh, for me that I learned this week is that, uh, nobody's stopping Bama. I know that's not on the show sheet, we didn't really talk about it beforehand, but they're just rolling teams over right now. I thought they would take a step back this year, um, losing Tua uh, and you know, a couple of their receivers, but they're just chugging along. Honestly, they impress me every week. So, I think that's the big thing I learned this week. Well,
0: I mean, they should. They're a top recruiting school every single year, and uh, they've got some beasts at all the skill positions. They've got a beast offensive line. Uh, it's one of the reasons Mac Jones is playing so well, because he is so well protected, and he has weapons all over the place. Um, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm going to go off the, off the uh, outside of college football itself and go to college fantasy football because I think that Fantrax has taught all of us something about customer service. Okay. You can create high expectations and meet those expectations and everything is fine, or you can undersell it and and, and meet those expectations. But by no means can you um, uh, under promise and then under deliver on your under promise. Okay. And that's exactly what Fantrax has done. They, they have, um, Hold on. Hold on one second.
2: The joys of live shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it it happens. The amount of times that my kids have interrupted one of uh, my my regularly scheduled podcast is, uh, is is it's actually a lot of fun. Just as that today, actually, I don't. I know you caught part of the program episode there, Austin. My I son, did. I swear, you guys could probably hear in the background sounded like he was murdering somebody. Way way he was screaming and throwing things. So, I'll go uh, while Felix isn't here. I think for me, the thing I learned is uh, the Big Ten has really pegged themselves into a corner here with uh, deciding to not play earlier in the season thinking, I think that they thought all the other conferences were going to follow suit and college football was going to be canceled slash postponed. The PAC, the big, yeah, the PAC 12 followed them. Nobody else did. Uh, Now, we have seen Wisconsin's gotten hit with a huge rash of COVID. Uh, COVID tested almost an outbreak here. I think the last I saw was 12 to 14 players have tested positive. The biggest one being Graham Mertz, who obviously had that phenomenal game in the opening night of a uh, Big Ten play there Friday night. Going to be with the Big Ten protocols out three weeks, which is massive for Wisconsin as they look like the team to kind of play and match what Ohio State can do in the Big Ten championship game, assuming both those teams got there at the end of the year. Now. They may not even win the next three games because their third-string quarterback also tested positive for COVID as well.
0: Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Bernie. you bring up a good point. Um, Grand Marks is out, and it just shows the effect that COVID-19 is having on this college football season. Wisconsin had to be one of the the biggest um, teams that could have knocked off Ohio State out of the Big Ten, and now they're going to be down. I mean, their season might be decimated entirely. The Big Ten blew it a little bit by pushing their season back as much as they did because they don't have any room for error, and uh, and by starting as late as they did, these games are going to get canceled and not rescheduled. And what are you going to do with a team in Wisconsin that played six games, five games? I mean, are they going to get a shot at the Big Ten title? Are they going to get a shot at the playoffs? Uh, I I just don't know. Let me go back to fan track. <laughs> Let me go back to fan track. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been since uh, September that we've had live scoring, and they've they've told us every week that um, that we're going to get the scoring up, and they just haven't been able to do it. Now, what they should have done is determined what the solution to the problem was, and then gave themselves some extra time to set customer expectations. But they, they they set customer expectations way too high, and they failed to 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 meet those expectations. And now they're claiming that scoring will be back this week. Nobody believes them. You can't put trust back in the bottle Once it's lost, it's lost. Now they have a monopoly, at least on the NCAA side um, for uh, uh, the, the fantasy platform this year. Uh, no, Nobody's coming back to Fantrax next year when there, are, there are, are alternative options. And so it just, it, it is a lesson in customer service. Um, give yourself more time. If you need to undersell it, but then make sure you meet those expectations. Can't make a promises. You can't make promises that you can't keep. All right, let's go to um, campus to Canton must has. Burning. We're going to start with you. Who are some players uh, that you find on all of your campus to Canton rosters? Well,
1: I'm ready this time, and I've got a little bit of a list for you guys. Uh, some of the guys that I seem to have, I went through all of my leagues, and I literally own every single one of these in all the leagues that I'm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Raymond Davis, uh, the running back at a temple. He's a guy I've talked about many times on Twitter. If you follow me, he's, he's one of my top three running backs in that 2022 class. I just absolutely love his upside and his play in general. G Scott jr. Obviously I wax poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here, but I'm a big fan of his. Zach Wilson, who I actually just watched the great Ray Garvin breakdown on YouTube. Uh, I think obviously he's having a phenomenal year. Felix, I know you've been in on him for a while as well. Uh, he's a he's a guy that I think has a ton of upside. Mac Jones, who we will talk about here later as well, is a guy that I got. I uh, went back and looked in three of mine in round nine of those C two C drafts, which looks like a complete steal now going into the NFL, especially with most of these leagues being super flex. Lashad Clayton, a running back at uh, a Colorado, freshman this year. I think he's got a lot of upside. Dante Wright at of Colorado State is a kid that I really like, especially now with Warren Jackson being out this year. Austin Jones at Stanford. Uh, Stanford has done a really good job of producing running backs here the past couple of years, and he's a guy I think is getting a little bit overlooked. I think he's going to take over. Everybody's all in on EJ Smith, uh, Emmett Smith's son, but I think uh, Austin Jones has a chance to be the starter and produce right away for them. And then, of course, uh, Brees Hall, who I think is just phenomenal. He is my number one running back in the 2022 class. Uh, doesn't have that long speed, but all in all, I love his entire game.
0: You've got two 2022 backs uh, in, in your list there, Ramon yeah. Davidson and Brees Hall. What does that tell? Does that tell you anything about the quality of the class in 2022?
1: Um, I think it's going to be better than 2021's. I, I'm I'm not as big on this 2021 class. Uh, I think obviously the top three, if you want to put Journey Brown up there too, I can see that argument. Are, are kind of elite, and then there's just a huge group. I would say five through maybe 15 that you could argue could go anywhere in this class. Some have upside, some don't. Where I think that 2022 class for me. Off the top of my head, I'd have to go look at my rankings. I would say there's easily six, seven guys that I could see are, are really high upside guys that I like a lot more than I, uh, I would have over guys in this 2021 class.
0: And of course, Ashad Clayton is sharing the backfield with Jared Mangum, who I believe is sharing uh, his backfield with Penny Boone at Detroit King. Um, I, uh, uh, G. Scott, I want to bring up G. Scott, Jackson Smith and Jigbutt and uh, Julian Fleming. I thought we would see more of them on Saturday versus Nebraska, but uh, we only saw uh, uh, Jxn and and uh, Fleming a little bit. I don't think we saw G Scott at all. Uh, so he, that- he was
1: he was on the field. I think it was three snaps. I can pull it up really quick. He he did not get a catch though, but he was on the field.
0: Okay, all right. Well, it'll be interesting to see, given how stacked uh, their recruiting class is, including the class coming in next year, if we see some people enter the transfer portal. The, the transfer portal. All right, um, I'll go to mine. I got four, uh, Warren Jackson, Austin Watkins, George Alani, and Grayson Cole. You brought up uh, Dante Wright, Bruning. I'm bringing up Warren Jackson, his teammate. Uh, Warren Jackson's not playing this year, not playing his last year at Colorado State. Listen, when it's, when, it, when it's gonna come time for the analytics people to compare Warren Jackson to somebody, you're gonna have to compare him to a pterodactyl because that's what he is. He's six foot six, 220 pounds. Some aren't sure if he can play wide receiver, but he was PFF's, one of PFF's top-rated wide receivers last season. And he has um, sat behind uh, Michael Gallup and Olabisi Johnson there at Colorado State, and last year he, uh, he, he blossomed. Um, it, it, he has the catch radius, but at 6'6", six, six, 200 and whatever pounds, he can actually move. And so I want to get some all-22 film on him. I want to see uh, if this guy can actually play wide receiver at the next level. Uh, and the question is going to be whether or not he can separate. It's not whether he can catch the ball. I think he can He can be physical enough, but it's going to be whether or not he can separate. He's not going to have the long speed. But but can he do some things in the short area? Can he get open against press coverage? Can he get away from physical corners? That's going to be the question. Or is he going to have to make the switch to tight end. So that's a player um, that I love. I know Skip Newton, a friend of mine, loves him too. and He's somebody I'm paying attention to. One person I do not have I- any issue with uh, their ability to separate is Austin Watkins. Now, uh, I talk a lot about Austin Watkins. People don't talk about him because he went to JUCO and then he went to UAB, and not a lot of people are watching UAB games. But Austin Watkins is one of the most physical X receivers uh, there, there are out there. He's six foot three, 210 pounds and he's probably going to run a sub four or five at the combine I think if they have a senior bowl this year he's going to go and he should be one of the best receivers out there he can turn into a running back after he has the ball in his hands, and he can take the top off the defense I don't really care where he gets drafted I don't care if he gets drafted on day three or if he gets drafted um, or if he goes undrafted he's going to be somebody that I'm targeting and I, and I think that he's, he can make an impact uh, at, the, at the next level because he has all the tools. Of course, George Halani. I mean, we talked about the 2022 class. He's another back in the 2022 class, like Breeze Hall, like Ramon Davis. I don't know that he is an elite athlete, but he's well-rounded. And Boise State has produced uh, some quality running backs in the last few years, and Helani's the next one. He had a good uh, freshman year. He started off this year. Very good, and, and um, just a player that, I, you know, in dynasty leagues, you're probably not going to want to take him with a first-round pick, maybe a second-round pick. Maybe, a, you know, he's going to be drafted day three, but he's a productive player because he can catch the ball and he can run it. You know, football is a rocket science. He has the size. He can catch the ball. He can run it. I mean, there's not a lot more that you can ask for in a running back. Some Some of the running backs are generational talents. They've got all the athleticism. Some of them aren't. George Helani isn't, but he's well-rounded, and I think that uh, I think that he can be a player at the next level. And then my last one, Grayson McCall. Um, Grayson McCall is, is in the process of changing the culture of the Chanticleers program there at Coastal Carolina. He's a redshirt freshman. I've broken him down on Dynasty Nerds. He's mobile. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. He's got a great deep ball. And he's got that team ranked for the first time in its uh, in program's history. So he is one that I am watching. Um, Austin, who are some of your campus to Canton must have?
2: So the big guy that I have, I think, in all of my leagues that it seems uh, noteworthy to start off with this week with the news of Kylan Hill is Quavius Marks. Um, I tagged him as a guy pretty early in last year's cycle once Mike Leach uh, announced that he was going to be coaching there um mostly because in my opinion he was probably a top 3 pass catching back in the class um he just has extremely natural hands he's gifted um on the ground as well um pretty shifty and but he's got decent size as well um four star guy so it's not like he was you know some guy that I kind of picked out of nowhere um so i figured he would get a lot of run in that offense kind of like a max borgie type role and so far um, He's gotten the touches, um, hasn't exactly turned into production yet. I think a couple of weeks ago, he had like 10 catches, 10 reception or 10 catches, 10 carries. He only put up like 81 yards or something, but it's at least encouraging to see that he, they have a role for him and they want to use him. And now with Kylan Hill announcing he's done for the year, I could see him getting the majority of the touches as the season goes on. So I think he's a guy that's huge stock up and a guy that I have everywhere. Um, in terms of, uh, wide receivers that I like, I talked a little bit about Chris Oppenbell last week, but I think if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know another guy that I hype up a ton is Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss. Um, he, even if you take away the Ole Miss uniform on him, he just reminds me so much of AJ Brown, very similar size. He's, you know, he can play outside or inside, which AJ Brown did both in college, um, and is doing both in the NFL as well. He is almost too much of a bully when you put him on like a slot corner <laughs> to like, you, you just can't cover him with a smaller guy. Um, and on, uh, on the outside, I mean, he's got the speed as well. So he's a problem for teams. Um, he's not, I mean, Elijah Moore gets, you know, 50% of the catches in that offense or whatever right now. So I'm not expecting him to really truly have a breakout statistical season until next year but I think I have him in every single one of my leagues. And it was actually funny. I took him in like the 13th round of the C2C we have um, over at Dynasty Nerds. And I think someone remarked that in their their previous draft that they'd done 45 rounds, he didn't get taken at all, which just like blew my mind. Um, because it wouldn't shock me if he's like a day two pick uh, next year when he comes out. So um, he's another one. And then my last guy is uh, Jalen Um the college tight end landscape after this year, it's just this insane class. And then it's like nothing. You have Eric Gilbert, who was that trans, you know, transcendental talent in this class, and Michael Mayer, who's looked pretty good as well. Um, but there's really not a lot of other guys in that pipeline um, right now at the tight end position. I mean, you have like a Baylor Cup who's been hurt, who's also at AM. Um, you have, I'm trying to think a couple of the other guys I have, but it's, it's just not, you know, I mean, it's hard to find guys that are 6'6", 260 and run like a 4'6", 5'40", anyway. So it's like not not like those guys grow on trees. But Weidermeyer, especially with their wide receiver situation this year, um, catches a good amount of passes in that offense. Um, And he's a – I mean, they brought him in to be a blocking tight end, and he's blossomed into more because of the opportunity. So I think he has a really well-rounded game. Um, He reminds me a little bit of Johnny Smith. So – I like him a lot. I've been trying. If I don't have him, I'm trying to buy him before it's too late. Um, But I think those are kind of my big three guys that I that I seem to be ending up with at pretty good value in most of my leagues.
0: Mingo is interesting because he started off hot against Kentucky and he's he's only had five catches since, but he's 6'2", 215 pounds. And uh, I wrote an article for Dynasty Nerds just noting um, uh, C2C waiver wire pickups. And Jonathan Mingo was actually number one because of that size-speed combination. And I agree with you. I didn't think about it, but yes, he does remind me of A.J. Brown, but he's not getting A.J. Brown's production. Elijah Moore and the tight end are getting all of the targets in that offense. And, um, uh, uh, Mingo's just not being used correctly. I mean he needs yeah. to get the ball he's a physical player and um, uh, Corral could do be the better best served by getting um, Jonathan Mingo
2: the ball I'm not sure if Corral' is capable of getting the ball outside often from the games I've watched I don't know how you guys feel about that but I mean I think he looks for Yabo and more because he just really isn't great on the I mean either touch throws or just you know throwing something on a line to you know the sideline from the hash you know 20 25 yards. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like he's that's something that's in his game.
1: Yeah, he's been he looks almost completely different than he did from week one. It's 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 weird to weird to see almost a complete downfall. It's uh same with uh Mississippi State and KJ Costello. I think we we saw such a great game out of them week one, and everybody was kind of like, oh, okay, this is why KJ Costello came back, this is why he went and then it's been almost a complete 180 of his game. I, He's been worse than Corral for sure, but I don't, I need to see more on Corral. He was, guy, I was really liking after I saw that week one in Lane Kiffin's offense. And yeah, I'm with you. He's kind of really unimpressed me since
0: then. All right, let's turn to the Debbie debates. Um, All right, our first debate topic, and I'm going to throw this topic out to you guys and then see if I can get it quieter over here. All right. (laughs) Mac Jones is for real. What do you guys say? You want to go first,
1: Austin, or you, you want me to go first? So I got the stats. You go first.
2: You go first. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well,
1: I'll just throw it out All there. Right. It's. I think it's a very interesting conversation to have because I mean, and now this was pulled last week, uh, but as of last week, I know Zach Wilson is now the number one uh, completion percentage in deep yard passes over twenty yards. But la- as of last week, it was. My guy, why did I want to call him Bryce Young? Mac Jones. Uh, He was also first in adjusted completion percentage, first in yards per attempt, second in adjusted deep passing completion attempts, and sixth in passing yards. I think the argument people are going to make against him is obviously all of the weapons he has around him, including, you know, in some argument's stake, the number one running back in this class, Jalen Waddell, and the number one wide receiver in this class for some people, Devonta Smith, who's top 10, a top 10 offensive line as well. He's... For me, he's been amazing, and I think maybe some people scout scout the helmet too much when they see that because we've never really seen a productive NFL quarterback that's come out of Alabama. Obviously, we have Tua that's going to get his first start this weekend, but outside of that, you go down the list, and Joe Namath is the only other quarterback in the NFL that's ever produced that's come out of Alabama. I would argue Freddie Kitchens, but no, I'm just kidding. Freddie Kitchens is horrible as a head coach and a—I don't even think he made it into the NFL—but— For me, it's – yes, that's right. Go Browns, 100%. I need a go Buckeyes person to jump in this chat now too. Uh, But, yeah, for me, it's – I think maybe so many people are are scouting the helmet and saying, well, you know, because we've never seen an Alabama quarterback succeed in the NFL, that it's just the weapons around him. For me, it's the throws that he's been making on Saturdays that show me he is elite, and it's not just the weapons around him. He's putting the ball where these wide receivers need it. He's stepping up in the pocket. His pocket presence is great. Throws the ball away when he needs to. Yes – Having those weapons, the running back, wide receivers, that offensive line absolutely helps him. Maybe it makes him look a little bit better than we think he's looking, but I think all in all he's moved up to the number four, and I can honestly possibly see him moving ahead of Trey Lance by the end of this year.
0: That's a hot take. Yeah. That is a hot take. Um, Mac Jones is the inconvenient truth. I mean, that's what he is because – Everyone expected Bryce Young, the, the freshman, to come in and take over. That's an issue for Mac Jones. That's an issue with his public perception. The other issue is is that it is player comps. Okay, player comps make people feel all warm and fuzzy because they say, "Okay, I've seen this before, and I can I can tell who this player uh, compares to." I don't know who the player comp is for Mac Jones. I don't know if Mac Jones has um, elite arm talent. I like the, his processing ability, but where does Mac Jones fit in the tapestry of quarterback prospects? I just don't know, and it's hard to um lose that 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 picture of him being a backup to to a tangible the Aloha. and 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 he wasn't supposed to necessarily have the seat this year. So it, it's just hard to um uh, to to think anything differently of him. When I watch him, I see I see him have clean pockets. Um and I see him make the right reads, but I just, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about Mac Jones. He, he doesn't necessarily amaze me. He looks like a very good college quarterback, but is he a franchise quarterback? If you're going to get taken before Trey Lance, then that should be a franchise quarterback. That should be a franchise quarterback. And I just don't know. Austin, you got anything on Mac
2: Jones? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, um, I've kind of been thinking a lot about just the quarterback position in general. Um, And where the NFL is kind of going with it, they're kind of catching up to where college has been for years where you have, I mean, generally you don't really see guys coming in anymore that aren't mobile at all and have a lot of success. At least we haven't in the past couple of classes. So that's the one area where Mac Jones concerns me. Um, But the thing that he does really well, and I think is another area that the NFL has really started to go in is it's kind of like the NBA where now everything you want, is either a layup or a three,
0: you know, we sure. don't take
2: mid range jump shots anymore. Like that whole part of the game is like gone. Yeah. The NFL, when you're passing the ball, you're either going for these quick, quick little hitters, you know, bubble screens, you know, quick slant, let the receiver get in some a little bit of space, do some work, or you're looking deep. And I think those are kind of your money makers in terms of where offenses are heading in the NFL. And for to his credit, Mac Jones does both of those things incredibly well. I think he his ball placement on short stuff really helps his receiver maximize yardage after catch. And obviously, as you were saying earlier, all of those stats suggest, and the eye test, I mean, you can watch and just see. He throws a beautiful deep ball. Yeah. So f- with that in mind, I think he can succeed, but the lack of mobility does scare me a little bit.
1: Yeah, I I can see that argument because, you know, I used that uh, in a talk about uh, Baker Mayfield the other day. I was talking about how they were comparing him to, goodness, who was it? Uh, Oh, they're talking about him and Justin Herbert uh, in a Discord channel that I was in, and I said they're completely two different quarterbacks, not just based on size, but Justin Herbert can actually make plays with his legs, and he has an absolute cannon. I would argue has a stronger arm than Baker. Now, Baker does have a good arm, but it's not Justin Herbert's arm, and Baker is— what I would consider your traditional pocket passer. Like, yes, can he get out of the pocket, use his mobility to make plays? Yes, but he's not going to – he's not burning. I could probably catch Baker. I don't mean that in a bad way. But I could probably catch Baker coming off the line. Like, he's not going to beat anybody in a foot race like Justin Herbert can. Or, so I do agree with you on that part with Mac Jones. Like, he's going to come in and be that traditional pocket passer. But we've also seen guys – I feel like those guys last longer. I mean, look at Breeze, Brady now, Aaron Rodgers. He's a little bit more mobile. He, I would say he's probably argue he's more mobile than Mac Jones, but for the most part, he plays his game in the pocket. So I don't want to say that those guys are getting forced out of the NFL. Not that that's what you were saying, but I feel like there is a place for them, but they have to go to the right team. They have to go to a team that's willing to build that kind of offense around him. Kind of like what Baltimore did with Lamar and his, his ability to create with his legs. They built that offense around what
0: he does here's the problem I have with Mac Jones. Everyone's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to get on the Zach Wilson bandwagon because this is the first year doing it. I mean, how many games has Mac Jones had? Okay. I mean, and he's playing on the, on the, uh, uh, the best team in college football against SEC defenses just aren't, that just aren't what they, what they used to be. I mean, in the game against Georgia, he, he was not facing pressure. Um, Bruning, you mentioned t- uh, about Lamar Jackson, um, the, the, the Ravens building the team around them. Do you see a perfect fit for Matt Jones? Is he someone that you can see starting in year one?
1: You know, not year one. Well, I take that back, yes. I think that he does fall toward the end of the first round. I think if he goes to the New Orleans Saints, that'd be a perfect fit for him. I don't think Breeze comes back this year. I know he signed the two-year deal, but I think Super Bowl or bust, if he doesn't make it, I, I just – Breeze has not looked the same this year to me as he does last year and really the past two years. And I think him missing the six, seven games that he missed last year, same the year before that has kind of helped his arm out a little bit and not be so, I don't want to say tired, but, but he's had more juice in his arm. If Breeze leaves and say, they make it to the playoff team. I don't see Mac Jones going as a top 10 pick. So if he falls down into that range and the, the, the my God, why do I want to call him the Patriots? The Saints take him. I think that would be a perfect fit for him in that offense. Because I do believe in Sean Payton's offensive mind as well to help build that offense around him. He gets a great, as they've been calling him slant boy in Michael Thomas, if they don't trade him right there that he can hit the ball. He can hit him with the ball if made no Sanders is there next year. We'll see what happens with Jared Cook, but I love the uh they drafted a tight end this last year that I think is going to be really good. And why can't I remember out of Dayton? Crying. Why can I not Troutman, Troutman, I think could fit really well with him as well. Like I think if they Alvin Kamara have the backfield, could be a really great spot for Mac Jones. But that's assuming he falls that far. Where I do think there's a lot of people talking about him jumping Trey Lance. I don't know. I, he hasn't yet for me. But if he continues to play this way, it's going to be hard for him not to because, like uh, I've talked about on a, the podcast show, I know you listen to it. I think I don't know if you listened to the full episode, Felix, but we talked about then. Lance is going to be kind of become that forgotten piece. Cause we're not going to see him all year. And unless he goes out there and completely wows us at the combine and these workouts, he's going to fall behind some of these guys, whether he deserves to or not.
0: I mean, one thing is, is for sure. Uh, everyone is going to want their favorite quarterback prospect to go to Sean Payton and the saints. That is true. And, uh, <laughs> and since we are talking about Trey Lance, let's go to this topic. <laughs> Another quarterback to jump Trey Lance, will Zach Wilson, be drafted before Trey Lance. I mean, I can take it myself. I don't think that he will. Uh, I don't think that he will because, um, uh, really because of Justin Herbert and um, the season that he's having. When you have the size, the arm strength, and the rushing ability that a Trey Lance uh, has, I think that that prospect is going to be taken in the top five and probably someone is going to be trading up for him. Justin Herbert is having a a fabulous season in many thought that he was more toolsy than quarterback and that's in and, and, and I see Trey Lance is kind of a raw prospect um, he has the rushing ability he has a cannon for an arm and he's 220 pounds and he can run like Josh Allen um, and so I it is as amazing as a season as Zach Wilson is having and I'm staying up you know the, uh, these games starting at 1015 Eastern Standard Time the appropriate uh, uh, u.s time zone um, <laughs> but I just, don't see I just don't see him. I just don't see him jumping Trey Lance at this point, at this point. But, you know, at some point you're going to have to say, okay, he's, he's, he's done too much. He's made too many of these big time throws and some team is going to fall in love with him because they've seen him more recently. Um, and, you know, he, and he's just he continues to play out of his mind. I think last week I had the bold prediction that he would go for five hundred and five. Well, he threw for two hundred and fifty and four in the first half, and then played part of the third quarter, and then didn't really play the the, the fourth quarter. He had the green jersey on and was giving the quarterback signals. Um, if he keeps playing at that rate, if he keeps making the big throws, if he keeps rolling right and then throwing bombs to the uh, the opposite hash outside the numbers, and you know, I think that we're gonna have we might have four quarterbacks uh, go in the top ten with. Lance uh, obviously Trevor Lawrence if he comes back and Justin Fields and T- Kyle Trask and, and, Z- and Zach Wilson um, I you know I don't know about about uh, Matt Mac Jones just yet uh, anyone else anyone else got some uh, thoughts on whether Zach Wilson goes ahead of Trey Lance
2: all right I, I think I think there's zero chance that he does. I think that that Lance is easily going to be the third pick. And just, I mean, I haven't, I don't, I, mean, I don't scout offensive line. I don't know anything really about it, um, but it seems like this year's class where the strengths of it lie is setting up perfectly where we're just going to have a bunch of quarterbacks go early. Right. Uh, I mean, other than Sewell, I haven't really heard. There's like, you know, some crazy offensive tackle talents. Um, there's not like an Okuda corner type prospect, at least not that I've seen or heard so far. So it's, those are, and there's not really a big edge guy. I mean, Rousseau is thought to be the big guy, but he's not, um, you know, no one thinks of him like they have the, the top guys the past couple of years. So I think it's, it's setting up perfectly for like four, four quarterbacks in the top, like eight picks. I think teams will trade up. I think there'll be a bunch of movement and um, yeah, I just can't, I can't see anybody hopping Lance. I, I didn't watch this year's game of him yet. I didn't think there was really any need to because I didn't. He wasn't going to show anything in one game that I hadn't already seen. I'll watch it at some other time. From what I heard, he, you know, flashed but wasn't, you know, spectacular, which pretty much sums him up. But so I think I I, I but I can't see Zach Wilson hopping him or anybody else for that matter.
1: Yeah, Let's I'll give a real quick bond Just uh, I no because I think he's going to go back to school, and I think he needs to huh? go back to school. I think his. His footwork still needs some improvement, and I think uh, just someone you mentioned a minute ago, Justin Herbert, I think he would benefit a ton just like Herbert did by going back for that one more year, getting to play tougher competition, showing that he can do it. I honestly think if he does go back to school, he could jump and be the QB1 in next year's class, ahead of Rattler, ahead of Howell, ahead of Slovis, if he continues to do what he's doing this year
2: next year. So he did declare. I'm just not sure what his agent status is. Who? But I'm pretty sure he Played on the sixth of this past month, I'm pretty sure. Zach Wilson? Oh, I thought we were talking about Trey Lance on that
1: one. Oh. Oh, good. No, no, Zach Wilson. I'm saying I don't That's see it. Zach Wilson That's dropping it. Lance. And yeah, yeah. I don't see Wilson dr- dropping Lance because I think he's going to come back to school. Yeah,
0: my bad. Let's talk about one more quarterback. Six foot five, 230, uh, 243 pound junior, Joe Milton. He goes 15 for, 20, 15 for 22 for 225 yards and one TD. Does Jim Harbaugh have his quarterback in Joe Miller? Yes. <laughs> yes. I yes think uh,
2: so.
0: Bruning, as an Ohio State fan, are you scared of uh, the, the, the- I, yeah. I said it on Twitter.
1: Yes, uh, I've my biggest thing because obviously being as big Ohio State fan as I am that that is the game. We look for every single year. We know when it's going to be. It's always that the week of Thanksgiving. You know, I'm I'm excited for it, ready for it every single year. Obviously it's gonna change up this year because of COVID. But for me, the biggest thing that has held back Michigan in the past, I would say almost eight, nine years since even before Harbaugh got there. For the Urban Meyer Ryan Day era, the biggest thing that has held them back is quarterback play. If you go back and look, they've been in a lot of those games and it's been the Shea Patterson's. I don't even can't even think off the top of my head before Shea Patterson right now, but those guys have been the reason, in my opinion, they've ended up losing those games. Joe Milton reminds me a lot of what Cardell Jones did for the Buckeyes in their championship run. I think they are very close in size, very close in arm strength. Now Milton's more mobile than Cardell Jones is, and that scares me even more with what we saw of that Buckeyes defense. I think Milton and Harbaugh are a terrifying combo right now.
0: Cardo Jones and, quite frankly, the Ohio State offense has always been a vertical offense. And as well as Joe Milton played, that was a conservative game plan. There were a lot of bubble screens, a lot of jailbreak screens, a lot of rollouts and and, and short passes. In addition to that, they had a defensive touchdown. They had a failed Minnesota had a failed fake punt. They gave up a long kick. Minnesota gave up a long uh, kick return. Minnesota did, uh, failed to, to score a touchdown. When they had first and goal on the three. That was a a Uh, really a defensive and special teams game and Joe Milton didn't have to do much. Now Graham Mertz had the same kind of game plan. He was hitting everybody short and then had a couple of long shots was a very efficient game. Um, If you're going to beat Ohio state, and that's really, especially with Wisconsin out and Penn state is not the, the the team that it has been in past years. If Michigan is going to beat Ohio state, it has to have a vertical passing game because Justin Fields is going to put up uh, 40 points. Um, uh, maybe 35 points in that game. And um, I don't know that we know if, if if Joe Milton can do that. I don't know if he can do that against a top tier uh, defense. He didn't, at least personally for me, he showed, um, I saw more from the game plan and then he executed the game plan, but that was, that was a, a lot of short stuff. I only saw one or two passes that were more than 10 yards down the field. Again, everything was at or behind the line of scrimmage and you're not going to b- beat a an Ohio State or a team in a bowl game with a game plan like that you got to be able to throw the ball vertically and Joe Milton just did not show that against Minnesota but he didn't have to he didn't have to he did what he had to do he didn't turn the ball over and um, you know so we'll see I think the jury's still out on on Joe Milton it's going to be until they play Ohio State until Jim Harbaugh beats Ohio State
2: the jury's going to be out on his quarterback. Uh,
0: Austin, you got anything on Joe Milton?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much summed it up. Um, he looked competent was the word that I had written down after the showing, which to be fair is an upgrade. Like you said, over Shea Patterson who couldn't even hit those those short passes last year consistently. Yeah. Um, I mean, they didn't really do him any favors with some of the pressure he got at times, but I thought at least Milton looked better than that. So if that's the starting off point, then um, I mean, we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they have Wisconsin, I think, in three weeks or two weeks or whatever. We'll see. I mean, Mertz isn't going to be there for that, but we'll see, you know, who else is missing or whatever. But that sh- that should be really their first real test. We'll see if that if that shakes out or not.
0: Austin, we had a big injury in Alabama. I know we talked about um, uh, Mac Jones a little bit. Jalen Waddle injured this week. Does his injury change his draft stock at
2: all to you? So for me, it doesn't change it at all. Um, I think he, a lot of the questions people had this year, you know, could, I mean, he'd really just been their return guy and like the fourth option amongst their receivers the past couple of years. So I think people really wanted to see, can he be like an actual receiver and not just kind of a gadget guy? And I think he answered that tenfold over the first couple weeks. I mean, not only was he still returning kicks at a high level, which ultimately got him injured. Um, but he was also, I mean, they, they had him working inside, outside, I mean, doing a ton of different stuff, you know, contested catches, you know, bubble screens. I mean, ton of study, they had him doing a little bit of everything. And he, he showed, in my opinion that he has one of the better sets of hands in this class that he, isn't a, I mean for a you know you think a speed guy that he's really not going to be you know uh, super physical but he's not afraid of contact so for me it doesn't hurt his stock at all and I'm not a doctor I have you know I'm I, like basically the opposite of a doctor so I'm not the person to ask about this at all but it's my understanding that a clean break you know like that is a lot better than him like blowing out his knee or you know like Tua's hip injury or something like that so. It's, you know, it seems like a pretty set timeline, four to six months, you'll get into the tail end of, you know, uh, off season you know, combine prep or pro day or whatever that is. So for me, I think the hype train just chugs on.
0: I agree with you. I don't think that his draft stock has changed at all. I mean, we just seen it recently with Marquise Brown, Marquise Brown entered the uh, NFL draft with an injury. He didn't even test at the combine. He didn't have a pro day. He was drafted. What number 15 overall. And it just so happens that waddle is, you know, on that spectrum, including Marquise Brown, a small speed guy, but waddle is way more physical and has more of a my ball mentality. He Just doesn't offer speed. If anything, um, uh, Uh, Waddle's injury to me signifies that, listen, once your draft capital is established, stop playing football games for free. I'm sorry. I just have um, and I know that that's a controversial position, but um, I want these players, these these college athletes who have pro potential. I want them to secure the bag. So once uh, they have have, uh, done enough to show what their uh, their draft capital, what they can do in the NFL, it's time to opt out. And I quite frankly, I think that that is going to be the case uh, more and more as we uh, go, go further in college football. I mean, it started with Christian McCaffrey and opting out of a bowl game. And then uh, just so happens on the same day, uh, Jake Butt later that night was uh, playing in the bowl game. He was a first round tight end. His career has never been the same. And it cost a of dollars. I want these students to secure the bag. And luckily for Jalen Waddle, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. I think that he's still going to be one of the top receivers drafted, Um, but it could have been a catastrophic injury. It could have been a a Marquise Lattimore injury. It could have been a Nick Chubb injury in the season before, uh, you know, before he's getting drafted, and that it would have cost him a lot of money. So for that reason, I, I have no problem with someone like Kylan Hill saying, I'm, I'm I'm opting out. I'm done. I'm going to go prepare for the draft. Or Warren Jackson Jackson say I'm not playing this year. I'm going to go prepare for the draft. Or quite frankly, Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman to me should not be playing football. Trevor Lawrence should not be playing football. They should be preparing for
2: the draft. I'm actually a bit surprised Saban hasn't gotten a bit more criticism for having Waddle still back on kickoffs. Um, I mean, obviously he's a spectacular return guy, but you can't tell me that none of the other five-star, four-star receivers that they have on that roster can return kicks at a decent level. So I'm actually actually a little bit surprised. I mean, I don't personally have that criticism, but I'm surprised we haven't heard it from people just, you know.
1: Well, I'm wondering if that's something where Waddle wanted to do it. I mean, that's the one thing that we can't, Take away like I I 100% agree everything you guys said and I'm with you. I don't think his stock changes at all, but it's something that, you know, I agree that they should be able to secure the bag and it sucks that they have to do this stuff for free, but you can't take some of the heart, and competitiveness that those guys have, like the Lawrence and Fields who have talked about, the reason they came back is because they want that national championship. And that drive is what makes them as great as they are. And I'd imagine with Waddle, with the way he's improved every year and, and wanting to do the same thing, probably has that same drive. So if, I'm not saying that this is what you're saying, but I feel like it may not be easy for Nick Saban to walk in and be like, hey, you're not going to return kicks anymore. Waddle may be like, no, I'm the best damn kick returner you have. I am returning kicks And Nick Saban wants to win too. I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it's not his job to prepare them for the next level or, or make sure that they don't get hurt. It's his job to win football games. And at the college level, that's why I've always hated when people get on. Like, I didn't think urban Meyer was a great coach in general, preparing players for the next level, but that wasn't his job. His job was to win college football games. And so I don't think Saban should get much criticism for that because I would almost bet if you asked Waddle in an honest moment, even after the injury, he would tell you, I still wanted to return kicks and, I mean, he's good at it. He's, he's one of the best I've seen returning kicks. So he deserved to be back there.
0: There was a point at which um, it was normal for these players to play in their bowl games. And then one player opened the door and then you see that became the norm. And because of COVID-19 people opting out, you see, um, uh, other players opting out, and I think that it is going to we're only going to see it increase. We're only going to see players decide, okay, I've established my my draft capital and I'm not going to play football this year. George Pickens may be the next one if he f- can finish his his season. He had a tremendous freshman year. if he can you know finish this season uh, uh, strong and maybe a portion of next season, you might see them just say, all right, I'm going to walk away i'm I'm going to preserve my draft capital all right. You guys ready to close out the show with some bold predictions?
1: Yeah, you Ooh. want me to give my trivia question first so then you guys can think oh, about okay. it yeah, yeah. Bold yeah. predictions? I, I'm yeah. going to keep it is what I put on Twitter because I couldn't get the other one up in time. So there's a there's a college running back right now that I don't think is getting talked about enough by a lot of people. He will be in my StockWatch article that's coming out on Friday. Uh, right now he is first in the NCAA in avoided tackles with 41, first in explosive plays, which is anything over 15 yards with 25. First in first downs in NCAA right now with 41, and he's only 93rd in snaps. I'm sorry, he's only got 93 snaps, which is 36 in the NCAA because he is literally in a 50 50 timeshare. He is splitting, he's getting, he's got one game where he's out carried the other player uh, that is splitting time with him, and he out carried him by seven carries. Outside of that, he's been behind him one every single game. You want to do, we can give our bold predictions, and then you guys can guess who it is. Okay. All or you can right. guess now, whichever you guys want. I feel like one of you is probably going to get it. You guys are both smart, but I I thought it might be a cool little thing to
0: try out here. Well, I saw Austin's uh, guess on Twitter, and I actually agree with him. So, um, Austin, you want to? I don't want to. I don't want to steal your shine. Who do you think it is?
2: I, I actually, I, I've been sitting here thinking which of the two I think it actually is because I'm pretty sure it's one of Michael Carter or Javante Williams. Am I? Am I on the right team? At you least we are on the
1: right track. Yes. Yeah.
2: Carter, Carter is my favorite of the two, but I've heard people really rave about Williams as well. So I'm going to guess it's Williams.
0: And I think it's Williams also because I'm pretty sure that Williams has only outcarried Carter once in the in the first couple of games. So I'm going to say it's Williams also. That
1: is correct. It is Javante Williams. He is leading everybody right now. And you were right. It was just the one game. The one game against Virginia Tech. He had seven more carries. Outside of that, Carter has outcarried him in every single game. Now the last couple has only been by one carry each, but He's only 10. He's 10 yards ahead of Javante Williams, too. So that's it. He has 590. Javante Williams has 580. But the other stats are just ridiculous in favor of Javante Williams. And I don't think he's getting enough talk right now. I mean, he's the guy who, again, is in this 2021 class that I feel like could easily jump up into that high end of the tier two running backs because he we just don't see a lot of guys that I think are producing at his level. So.
0: Not only is Javante Williams producing, but he's 5'11", 225 pounds, and he can catch the ball. So he is a potential bell cow uh, back at the next level. All right, gentlemen, let's jump into the bold predictions. Let me start it off. All right. So we know – and I'm going to jump to the NFL on this one. We know that Tampa Bay um, signed Antonio Brown. And uh, listen, before Antonio Brown went all Antonio Brown on us, he was on a Jerry Rice career trajectory. He's a technician. He's not dependent on speed. The last time he played, he had eight targets uh, for four receptions and one touchdown, and who was throwing him the ball? Well, one Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. And who's going to be throwing him the ball once he becomes uh, eligible to play? One Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. My um, Not only that, but he's eligible after week eight. He's eligible in week nine. My bold prediction is that Antonio Brown is a wide receiver one in his first um, uh, action against New Orleans, and now you don't have to squint too hard to see this happening. You're going to have Marshawn Lattimore shutting down Mike Evans, and we know that when you play in a dominant corner, funnel targets to the other receivers. Well, that other receiver is going to be most likely Antonio Brown if Chris Godwin come back from his finger uh, his finger injury, even if he can. not In his first action with the Patriots, Tom Brady targeted him eight times. I think he had three red zone targets. So I can see Antonio Brown uh, uh, getting between seven and ten targets, going over 100 yards, two touchdowns. He's a wide receiver one. I'm going to take it a step further, okay? I've got Antonio Brown being a wide receiver one in 2021. He keeps it going with the Buccaneers, okay? Jerry Rice played until he was 40. Uh, 41 years old, I believe. Antonio Brown again is on that trajectory. Antonio Brown was never a, a a spark athlete. He was a tech. He was a technician. He still is a technician. He has a stop and go that's better than anyone's, and I don't think that he's lost that. So I've got Antonio Brown being a wide receiver one in Week Nine against the Saints, and next year in 2021, Antonio Brown wide receiver one. That is my bold prediction Bernie. you want to you go or any anybody got any comments on that
1: i do i agree with you that he's going to go off against the saints i do not think he's going to finish as a wide receiver one the rest of the season i'm i i guess count-
0: i mean you never know i mean he could get arrested before that guy
1: that's true well I, I just you could count me in the uh book that is skeptical i guess of of i i he's a hall of fame talent there's no question about that whatsoever but him going to that Bucks team with all the other talent they have around him, I'm not sold that he will be a wide receiver one the rest of the season. In fact, I would advise people after he puts up monster numbers against the Saints because I agree with you, that is coming in week nine. Sell him as fast as you can in fantasy.
0: Austin, your bold prediction for this week. What do you got?
2: Perfect. So I am going to take a page out of your book last week and talk a little bit about Indiana but I'm going to go the opposite way. Um, Rutgers looked, from the stuff that I saw, I know this sounds so <laughs> crazy, and I got burned with Florida State last week, so I'm probably just going to sound like an idiot when we talk again on Wednesday. But Rutgers looked decent last week. Yeah. I mean, they I played... I, I mean, Rutgers of old would have rolled over and lost by 45. I think yeah. They won, and they won by double digits, or at least you know, close to it. I think they're... Indiana's going to be riding high um, at, I, and I think you know they're I mean Indiana didn't really do anything spectacular last week against Penn State they limited the time that Penn State had the ball and they played solid run defense but I mean offensively they were all over the place no one outside of um, WAP really scares me on that offense at all so I'm going to pick Rutgers to, to win that game
0: I that, like I, it. That's heartbreaking for me. I mean, I I'm like sorry. the Hoosiers as, a, as an underdog. I didn't, obviously, I'm not a, a Hoosiers fan, but I love Michael Penix. Uh, I wish that he would get his fundamentals together. Um, but I, I love Michael Penix. And, and is that game in, uh, in New Jersey or is it in, at Indiana? Do you know? I don't know that it matters uh, because there are no fans. So it's not yeah. like a, a home field advantage. It's at
2: Rutgers.
1: Okay. So. All right. Isaiah Pacheco going off in that one. Looked good. Oh. He looked good against Michigan State. The the Uh, bowling ball. Mine is not quite as bold as your guys, um, though I do think it, This I think it's somewhat bold because we've seen Texas, they don't seem to play up to their competition. They seem to play down to it, but they always have that one game where they just upset a team they're not supposed to. Oklahoma State, in my opinion, has looked like the best team in the Big 12 so far this year. They've actually been playing defense, which is something I've heard is unheard of in that conference. I don't think any other coach really knows what that is. They've been doing a really good job there. Obviously, Tyler Wallace has looked amazing. Uh, they got Spencer Sanders back as well. Chuba Hubbard finally. The past two weeks has looked like the Chuba Hubbard of old. Them playing defense. I think they beat up on Texas this week and remain undefeated for their shot at a possible playoff berth
0: at the end of this year. Big twelve, big scoring. So that's uh, Sam Ellinger versus Spencer Sanders. Yeah. If I'm in DF, college DFS, I want to get a piece of a uh, piece of that game. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that'll do it for us. I'm Felix Sharp. You can find me at Sharp Review. You can find Austin at Debbie Dietz, and you can find Matt at Sports Fanatic uh, MB. We all write for Dynasty Nerds. You can find our latest articles there. Hey, congratulations to Matt. Just got inducted into the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. Thank so, Thank you very much. I appreciate you, that. Sir. Congratulations to you, sir. Uh, one final note, just an apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We're going to we'll try to get him rescheduled soon.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good night, everyone.
1: Side of the field. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25. And Apple will go to the ground at the 32. And that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon, 42-20. to 20. Here's Tua,
0: stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone touchdown. touchdown Alabama! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain, their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap rolls right. He it in the end zone. Hunter the cut it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Rimfro and Clipson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger And he's up to the races, nobody will catch him! 93 yards for the freshman! Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye! Touchdown, Ohio State! From 52 yards!